So before we jump in this morning, I want to celebrate something with you. The end of December marks the halfway point in ECC's fiscal year, and we went into that month hitting only about 87% of our budgeted giving plan year to date. Now, thanks to a strong month of giving, at the end of December, we are actually back on track, and we want to thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness and encourage us all to stay the course in 2023, so thank you very much. Speaking of 2023, <clears throat> Happy New Year, everyone. That's the first chance I've had to say that to, to most of you. And is, of course, that time of year again when we are tempted, not so much me anymore, but we are tempted to make resolutions about how we can become better versions of ourselves in the year to come. Something magically happens, we think, at uh, midnight on 1231 that we are suddenly able to do something the very next day that we have not been able to do all year long. So we are tempted. And it seems to me in my memory that every year somebody somewhere comes with, a, with some kind of funny meme or something that captures <clears throat> sort of this profound human condition in a humorous way. And this year it came to me from Pastor Bo Bannister who served here at ECC as our worship pastor from I think 2009 to 2017. And I'm just going to say up front, depending on how many of us in the room are musical people, not everyone is going to get this. So it's going to need a bit of explaining, but it will be worth the trouble. Can I just tell who the musical people are? Uh, as we move from 2022 to 2023, we are tempted to think that we can reinvent ourselves. If we add this exercise routine, or we stop eating those foods, or uh, stop getting engaged in those bad habits, or we take on certain spiritual practices, we will be new, we will become better versions of ourselves, we will be higher up on the musical staff. But here's the joke. If we look at the notes on the musical staff, it does appear that the note that stands in for 2023 is higher than the note that stands for 2022. Way to go. We are improving ourselves. The 2022 note is a C sharp. The 2023 note is a D flat. I'd like to ask my lovely assistant, Shirley, to come up and demonstrate for you a C sharp. Now, will you play us the lofty note of D-flat? <laughs> Thank you, Shirley. So there's an illusion on the screen. There's a deception on the screen. Well, it does indeed appear in the illustration that 2023 is moving up and to the right where we all want to go, looking as positive as maybe 2020 looked in December of 2019. And we know how that worked out. There's no difference, as I hope you could hear, between those two notes whatsoever. What, what looks like a, an improvement is actually only a facelift. Sometimes that's kind of what happens to us. I know it's what happens to me. I think I'm making some great improvement in my life, but in the end it's still me. It's just a facelift. For real change to happen, something more is necessary. The most Lasting and profound change takes place over a long time and with great intention. Likewise, when pastors and staff spent some time in prayer for 2023, just a few months ago, we were praying about this. I was hoping, I'd had so much fun in 2022 with our strategic initiatives, I was hoping for something new and shiny for this new year. 
But we didn't get a sense that God was directing us to anything new, any great new strategic initiatives as we did in 2022. Rather, we sensed that what God was saying to us was that 2023, and perhaps for a bit longer, will be a season of strengthening and deepening what is already present. 2023 will be a season of strengthening and deepening what is already present. It'll be a year of growth in the things that God has already given us. And so we will ask, what will it look like to strengthen and deepen those three strategic initiatives that we had for 2022? That is our ministry to and with young adults and youth, our ECC care team, and our life groups ministry. All things that were new in 2022. Now, I plan to say more about these things at our congregational annual meeting in a couple weeks and to celebrate what God has done. So I'll say more about that there. Now, beyond these very important strategic initiatives or any other initiatives we could come up with, of course, the question of strengthening and deepening is about each of us in our walks with Christ, in our relationships with Christ, in our relationships with one another and in our calling to serve God's mission and God's kingdom purposes in our everyday lives. And in many ways, it's a bit of a history lesson for some of us and brand new for others of us, if you've not been here uh, too long. In many ways, the good work of 2022 is actually an extension, an outgrowth of the work that actually began here at ECC about six years ago this time. In March of 2017, we started down what is known in our larger covenant family, our denomination, as the Vitality Pathway. It's a process of congregational uh, revitalization. Very early in that process, we collectively got together and did some assessment and identified ourselves as what is known in this process as a stable church, which sounds like a good thing. Who doesn't want stability? But it isn't. You see, stability is not the goal of any congregation. The goal is to become healthy and missional. And friends, we have done some really good work over the past six years. We were led by a great team of people, our vitality team in this process, out of which came many things. I'm just going to list a few. A committed group of people who still pray every other Thursday evening from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. They pray for us. They pray for uh, the church. They pray for the staff. They pray for the ministries. A deep dive into our history as a congregation where we could identify how God has been faithful in the past as an encouragement for the future. The development of our ECC relational covenant, which has grown to shape our meetings, our processes, our decision making, and the way we relate to one another as sisters and brothers in Christ. And the choosing of a biblical story, an image to help us understand where we were and what God wanted to do with us. And that story was from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, the letter to the church in Laodicea. And I said at the time, if you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it. I said at the time, I'm glad that wasn't my idea. Because that was a tough story to hear. But it was the story we needed. Early in the process, we hosted the first of three workshops. The first one was called Veritas, a Latin word meaning truth. And in that workshop, we sought to hear and to know and to come to grips with the truth of who we were as a congregation and what it was going to take to move from merely being stable to becoming more healthy and missional. And one of the passages that this vitality pathway used to help us get a picture of these things was Jesus' parable of the fig tree from Luke 13, which we just heard read a couple of minutes ago. Now, before we read it once more, I'm going to set up the context 
In the previous few verses, there's a conversation that takes place between Jesus and some of the people in those crowds listening to him. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Now there were some some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. This brief conversation sets the stage for the parable. The people want to know if having bad things happen to them, if suffering in this life is proof that God is punishing them for their wrongdoing. So they give one example, and Jesus says, no, and I'll give you another one. Not that one either. That's not how God works. That's the first thing Jesus tells them. That's not how God works. Suffering is a reality that all of us on this planet are going to have to face. God does not send suffering of this nature simply to punish us for our sins. Nevertheless, Jesus very quickly adds, do not think that your sins don't matter. They do, and you need to repent to borrow again from Arnold Schwarzenegger for judgment day is inevitable. And then Jesus tells them the parable, so let's read that again. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it take up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now given the dark context of the first five verses of this chapter, most commentators agree that In some substantial way, Jesus is warning the people of Israel concerning their failure to embrace and accept Jesus as their Messiah. They need to repent. And to repent, and this is important, to repent in this case is not only to stop sinning, which is what we often think about. It's not only to stop not believing in Jesus. To repent is to produce fruit. To repent is to produce fruit. To be sure, this parable is a warning. Time is of the essence. They they have more time to do the right thing, but judgment is still on the way. It will come. The question is whether the fig tree will be prepared for judgment or not. Will it pass the test of fruitfulness or will it fail? And I should say, I didn't say this, but I should say one of the reasons people see this as being aimed at the people of Israel is because a fig tree often stands in for the people of Israel. Will this fig tree pass the test of fruitfulness or will it fail? So for our purposes, what we need to see is that if we, as individuals, as a congregation, if we are not bearing fruit, something is not the way it's supposed to be. If we are not bearing fruit in our lives, in our ministry, in our mission, in our relationships, something is wrong. And when we began our vitality pathway in 2017, I think it's fair to say there was more wrong with us than most of us really knew. And some of what we thought was wrong wasn't really the problem, other things were. At heart, the parable speaks to us of four very important realities. Truth, time, grace, 
and intention. And the truth is that the fig tree is not healthy, it is not producing fruit, and it needs to change its ways. It needs to repent. The time is the one more year given to the fig tree. It represents, on some level, God's mercy. The grace is that the vineyard owner and their caretaker are giving the fig tree a second chance. And the intention is about our determination to cooperate with the Spirit of God in our own transformation and to put in the necessary effort. In the parable, it's about digging around it and fertilizing it. Truth, time, grace, and intention. Over the past six years, God has been digging around us, ECC, fertilizing us, cultivating the soil, and we are beginning to bear fruit. And I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think it's much of a limb to worry about. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think we're going to see even more fruit in 2023. To bear fruit could mean that we are more consistently developing what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if that is the case, there is no doubt in my mind that ECC is uh, exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit more now than we were in 2017. I see it in our staff, I see it in our congregation, I see it in our leadership. Or fruit could refer to seeing more people entering into God's kingdom. And this is where God wants to take us in the coming year and beyond. People coming to faith in Jesus and people becoming more like Jesus. People coming to faith in Jesus and people becoming more like Jesus. But it's not going to be about some gimmick or some shiny new evangelistic program. It's going to be about who we are becoming and how we are learning to love our neighbors and serve them. I've, I've shared with you before from the book I've been reading entitled The Patient Ferment of the Early Church by Alan Kreider. The premise of that book, once again, is that the early church did not have an organized approach to evangelism, but in fact they were rather secretive about their worship and their relationship and their practices. Not, not because they feared persecution, although that was a reality, but because they felt that what they had was too sacred to be shared with outsiders. Like, as Jesus would put it, like pearls before swine. Worship and church life were only for insiders, and yet the church grew dramatically in those first few centuries. Those who wanted to become insiders, those who wanted to be followers of Jesus, entered a lengthy and demanding process of training designed not only to teach them doctrine, but to build in them character and habits of living and becoming more and more like Jesus. They believed that by living as Jesus taught them in the Sermon on the Mount and in other passages, learning to be patient with the world, patient with their neighbors, patient with themselves, patient with God. God would be at work in and through them, changing them little by little like yeast in a batch of dough. Their patient fermentation into a Christ-like community would yield fruit in their relationships with one another that would draw their neighbors to Christ. Outsiders would want to become insiders. The early church's growth wasn't about something they did. It was about something beautiful they were becoming. It was primarily about their own transformation as followers of Jesus. We bear witness to this concept in our three ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence. 
And by welcome, we mean that we seek to be gracious and hospitable to all people. By transformation, we mean that we aspire to be transformed and ever transforming. And by presence, we mean we strive to love our neighbors in word and deed. And the key in here is to pursue our transformation. That's how we get to these things. Can I just say, if, if I were to ask, I don't know everybody in this room right now, but if I were to ask you to think of someone, assuming you yourself have come into a relationship with Christ, to think of someone you have been praying for who doesn't know Jesus, to think of someone maybe who has known Jesus but has wandered from the faith, to think of someone who their lifestyle, what they're going through, what they're dealing with, breaks your heart, and you are praying that they will come to know the love and joy of Jesus, who would that be for you? Pursue your own transformation for their sake. Pursue your own transformation for your sake and for theirs, because that's what will speak to them. For as we become more and more like Christ, transformed and ever transforming, as the fruit of the Spirit is borne out in our lives and relationships, we will be the presence of Christ to our neighbors. And that will be the key to reaching people with the good news of Jesus. An ECC with truth and time and grace and intention will be transformed, as was the fig tree in Jesus' parable. For many months now, one verse of Scripture keeps coming back to me. Sometimes something I'm reading or listening to a podcast or listening to a sermon, it's out of the blue keeps coming to me. And when that happens, I have to go, well, okay, well, why does this keep coming here? And as I began to reflect on this verse, it was almost as if it's the first time I've really paid attention to what he even says. We heard that verse read in the context earlier. In Psalm 27, King David writes of a trying time and the God who meets him there. First few verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Finally, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He looks at, David looks at God's goodness. David looks at the reality that God is his stronghold and he has, he has no reason to fear. Even when the wicked advance to get him and war breaks out, how does he know this? Because he is spending his time in pursuit of one thing. He is spending his time in pursuit of one thing. This brief verse, Psalm 27, verse 4, is rich in what is called Hebrew parallelism. That is, it finds several different ways to say or nuance the same basic idea with parallel statements. You can see it very clearly even in the first part of that verse. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. One request in two slightly different forms. There's one thing he asks for, there's one thing he seeks. They are the same thing. After that, David uses three words or phrases to tell us what this one thing is. It is to dwell, it is to gaze, and it is to seek. 
More specifically, to dwell in God's temple, to gaze on or behold God's beauty, and to seek God there. So I said, this is the nature of a lot of Hebrew poetry. David is saying the same basic thing three different ways, but each of these ways of saying this one thing are nuanced and have something to teach us. So, over the next few months, right up to Holy Week, in fact, we are going to be living in these three words. Dwell, gaze, seek. These will be the one thing we are asking of the Lord. Each week, we will use Psalm 27, verse 4, as a hyperlink to take us to other passages in Scripture where we encounter one of these three movements. Each movement will last four weeks. The first movement, dwell, will begin next week. And as we do this, we've said it a few times already, we are inviting you to join in some plan of reading the Gospels on a daily basis. For it is there, in the Gospels, first four books of your New Testament, that we encounter the one Albert Einstein referred to as the luminous figure of the Nazarene. It is through the life and ministry of Jesus, the luminous one, that we get our clearest possible vision of God. And it is in the Gospels that we get to know who Jesus is as the exact representation of God's being. Quite a few years ago, when Kim and I served with Youth with a Mission in Amsterdam, we would gather together once a week with all the staff. And there were about 200 of us or so who were a part of staff at that time. And we would get together on Sunday afternoons and we would worship together. And one Sunday afternoon, our leader, Floyd McClung, said something that at the time, to me in my youth and in my arrogance, whatever you want to call it, too simplistic. Oh, that's nice. And speaking of what it means for God's people to experience revival, churchy word that we'll talk about in just a minute, he said there are two things that need to happen. And now, of course, there are other things that will happen too. But these two things, he was convinced, were the launching pad for any of us and for whole organizations or congregations, groups of people to experience the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And the word he used was revival. Let's talk about that. I think at least early on when I would hear that word, I would think of, oh, there's a church down the street that's holding a revival. We go there every night. We spend hours there. A preacher preaches. There's an altar car. People, that's a revival. That's not what Floyd was talking about. Revival, rather, refers to those times in our lives, if we've been blessed enough to have them, where Christ was most real to us, most important to us, And when we sensed God leading us and speaking to us and walking with us more consistently than ever, when we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that something was happening in our lives, that we were growing in our faith more than we have ever known before or the most we've ever known. And for that to happen, Floyd was convinced that the two very simple things were necessary. Do you want to know what they were? Well, they're not that exciting. Daily prayer and Bible reading. Daily prayer and the reading of God's Word. Like I said, at the time, it sounded too simplistic to me, but not anymore. For prayer is nothing more than conversing with God, speaking to God, learning to listen to God, surrendering to God, communing with God, and Scripture is the primary way God speaks to us. 
The invitation for this season is that we can come together and better learn to dwell in God's house, to gaze upon God's beauty, and to seek him in his temple through prayer and encountering Jesus through the reading of the Gospels, as well as through the time that we spend together each week in worship. To be clear, our participation in prayer and the daily reading of Scripture does not cause revival. It does not cause it. It simply tunes our hearts and our minds to what God is already doing. It tunes our hearts and our minds to what God is already doing, and it enables us then to partner with God in these things. And as we do so, we are transformed. Our lives begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit as well as the fruit of people entering into the kingdom of God and the lives of our neighbors, our family, our friends. So here's my invitation. Commit, intentionally commit to reading the Gospels daily for the next three months. Commit to daily reading the Gospels, even if you are already reading another Bible plan, simply take one chapter from the Gospels and add it to your reading. This is not about legalism. It's about habit. If you miss a day, you are no less loved by God or us. Just go back to it the next day. If you're in a plan on the Bible app, you have this little button called Catch Me Up. So what? You missed a couple of days. Catch me up. Don't try to cram it all in. Well, I'm a week behind. No, just start again. If you get our weekly e-letter, we've given you resources. There is options on how to do this. There's several ways you can do it. We've linked most of those resources in your Bible app live event uh, today as well. Once again, if you don't already have the Bible app on your phone or your tablet, go to wherever you get your apps, search for the Bible, and it should be at the top of the list below the ad. There's always an ad for another version. You want the real one, not the one that says ad. Just download it. And once you set it up, turn on your location services, click more, click events, and our live event should pop right to the top of your list. Each week there you're going to find links to these resources, questions or for reflection, further study, as well as links to all sorts of different ways you can stay connected to ECC. And we'd love for everyone to be using the Bible app. One other thing I want to invite you to do, and that is to memorize Psalm 27, verse 4. It's just one verse. Memorize it. Meditate on it regularly. Let it soak into your soul. Maybe it could become the prayer you pray at the start of each day. Maybe as you are meditating on it, and I would like to know this, and you come across one of those words, and it makes you think of another passage somewhere in Scripture, let me know. I'd like to know where those are. I've got some. I haven't got them all planned out yet. As we prepare to take communion together, would you join with me as we together read in unison Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the gift of time that we can spend in communion and prayer with you. We thank you for your grace that is sufficient for all our failures and sin. And we thank you for your spirit that is here and present and able to 
and, and empower us to live into these things, to seek you daily, to dwell in your temple, to gaze upon you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that with all sincerity and with great intention, knowing, Lord God, that your grace is sufficient. And I pray, God, that in and through this, we would see you do a mighty work in us as individuals, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, bearing fruit in our lives, bearing fruit in the lives of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.